Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Motherkind podcast. I'm your host, Zoe Blasky, and this is the show that is going to help you navigate the massive challenges of life as a modern mother with more confidence, clarity, and self-awareness. This episode is all about boundaries, and boundaries are one of those things, I don't know about you, that I constantly need reminding of, and I'm always practicing. So often, if I'm feeling knackered or resentful or stressed out, more often than not, it is a boundary I need to set. So recently, I picked up this book called The Book of Boundaries, Set the Limits That Will Set You Free. The title obviously grabbed me. I devoured it. I think I read it in a night and put it down, messaged the team and said, we have to get the author on the podcast. Melissa Urban is a six-time New York Times bestselling author, and she specializes in helping people establish healthy boundaries. There is so much that stood out for me in this episode that I know you're going to love. The first one is we don't use boundaries to change another, but to communicate our needs and our limits. And if you are thinking, what? I don't understand. Then listen on because it's all going to make so much sense. The second thing I really took from Melissa and her work about boundaries is that we need different levels of boundaries in terms of how firmly we communicate and hold our boundaries. And she's developed this brilliant red, amber and green system that I think is just going to help us all so much. The other thing I've really taken from this and Melissa's work is that boundaries, far from being mean or selfish, actually make relationships better because everyone knows where they stand. And I know in my life, when I set a boundary, the first thing I then start to feel is guilty. I tell myself that I'm being selfish. Who am I to upset someone else? Melissa talks about why we have that reaction and what to do with it. We spend probably about 60% of this episode talking about fictional mother-in-law that we've made up and how you might want to set boundaries with her. Because what I see and what I hear from our motherkind community is that boundaries with extended family are hard. So in this episode, we deep dive into that. I think you're absolutely going to love this. It's really practical and there's some really big ideas in here. I hope you love it. Here it is. Before we get on to this week's episode, there is something that I have been waiting to tell you and I am really excited to share. And that is that Motherkind is the official podcast partner for The Baby Show with Little 2023. It is the 3rd to the 5th of March in Excel London and I will be there on Saturday the 4th recording a live podcast with the wonderful Kate Ferdinand talking about all things blended families. The Baby Show with Little is the UK's largest and best loved pregnancy, baby and parenting event. And it has been running for an incredible 21 years. Tickets can be bought online at thebabyshow.co.uk forward slash Excel. That's thebabyshow.co.uk forward slash Excel. And if you pop in the quote motherkind before Thursday, the 2nd of March at midnight, you'll get your ticket for only £16 a person. So please do get yourself a ticket and come and see me. I would love to meet you and say hi. Oh, Melissa, I was just saying before we hit record, I inhaled your book. There are so many books on boundaries and I've yet to come across one which has the scripts and is so practical and it is 
absolutely what we need. So thank you for writing it, honestly. Thank you so much, Zoe. That means a lot. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Tell us how you came to be known as the boundary lady, which you (laughs) referred to at the start of your book. A lot of my Instagram followers tell me, oh, my husband only knows you as that boundary lady on Instagram, which I find delightful. And I'm thinking about making a t-shirt. I'm probably better known for co-founding the Whole30, which is a 30-day health program here in the US that's very popular. It's been around since 2009 and it's an elimination program. So for 30 days, you're giving up a number of foods and seeing what your experience is like. And then at the end, you reintroduce those foods and compare your experience. So it helps people identify food sensitivities. On the Whole30, you say no a lot. You're saying no to the break room donuts and the glass of wine at happy hour and birthday party pizza. And I quickly realized in 2009 that people really struggled to say no, especially in the face of peer pressure and especially in social situations. So I began helping people find the words to say no thank you to food and drink and maybe talking about their diet or talking about their bodies on the Whole30. And once they figured out I was really good at that, they started asking me, well, how do I say no to my mother-in-law who's always offering unsolicited parenting advice? And how do I say no to the coworker who's always emotionally dumping? So the questions just sort of progressed from there. And really at the height of the pandemic in October, 2020, when especially women and especially moms found that all of their boundaries had been erased and work and home and school and kids and housework all kind of led together, that was when the idea for the book really came to pass. Oh my gosh, wasn't that a wild, wild time? Yes, absolutely. I loved you talked about the first boundary that you ever recall setting and you said it saved your life. Tell us about that. People sometimes meet me and they say, oh, have you always been into health? Have you always been healthy? And the answer is no. Uh, I spent five years as a drug addict when I was in my early to mid twenties. And I went into rehab The first time I somehow managed to find my way into a program and I had a year of recovery under my belt and then I relapsed and I didn't know why I had relapsed. It felt incredibly scary. I picked up right where I left off, which was not a very good place. And I was terrified to tell any of my friends or family members how I was. I wanted to pretend like everything was fine. I didn't want anyone to know that I had needs or I had feelings or that I was scared or that I was anxious and certainly not that I had relapsed. So a few weeks into my second recovery, after I kind of got myself cleaned up again, I was at a party with a friend of mine and he didn't know I had relapsed. And I was with people I didn't know doing who knows what behind closed doors in an environment where I definitely didn't feel safe, surrounded by people drinking and smoking pot. And I was so terrified for my recovery. I felt like I was in this position again where I could relapse at the drop of a hat and I didn't know if I would make it back. And in a moment of sheer panic, I looked at my friend and I said to him, I can't be here. I need to leave. And that was the first honest to God boundary I ever remember setting in my whole life. And I didn't even recognize it for what it was at the time, but I knew that I was so scared and I really needed to do whatever I could to protect my recovery and my health and my life. And what tumbled out was this need that I expressed so clearly in the moment. What did he say? I thought he would laugh at me. I thought he would say, don't be silly, or that's dumb, or I'm having fun, so you find your own way. And what he said was, oh, and then he asked me a few questions. What's going on? Are you okay? Are you uncomfortable here? And I ended up telling him the story of how I had relapsed and how I didn't feel safe. And he said, okay, let's go. And he got me out of there. 
which was a wonderful reaction. And we, of course, you know, remained very close after that. But what I also realized in the moment was that if he had said, no, I'm staying, I would have found my own way home. And that's really the true empowering nature of boundaries is that they are about telling other people the actions that you are willing to take to keep yourself safe and healthy. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've been in 12 steps for a long, long, long time like you or recovery. I don't know if you're 12 step actually, but it strikes me that this lack of boundaries was so intertwined with my not being able to be emotionally healthy. They were like hand in hand. And I remember when I first got taught about boundaries and that word, and it was like a complete enigma to me because I'd never been modeled them. I'd never seen them. I'd never seen a woman or any of the mothers around me that, you know, growing up state their needs, hold a boundary. I'd never seen it. Felt like, you know, like a dark art. (laughs) How do you define boundaries and has that changed over the years, particularly with the lens of your recovery? I think boundaries are so incredibly important for anybody in recovery because boundaries were what allowed me to expand my life beyond my wildest imagination in that post-recovery period. So a quick definition of boundaries, I think a lot of misconceptions around boundaries center around the idea that people think that they're controlling, that boundaries are about telling other people what to do. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I define boundaries as limits that you set around how you allow other people to engage with you. So a boundary doesn't tell someone else what to do. It tells someone else what I am going to do to keep myself safe and healthy and to improve the relationship. And I think boundaries are one of those mission-critical life skills like time management or financial management where they're not taught. We're not taught them in school or part of our career or professional development. Very often we weren't modeled them by our families. And then women, especially, but then especially moms have been societally conditioned by the patriarchy and stereotypically rigid gender roles, by religious ideology, by diet culture, by the media, maybe by trauma. We particularly have been conditioned to not have needs. We should not have needs. When we become mothers, we are praised the most when we are selfless. We have no self. We have given up ourselves for the sake of our children. And when we do have a need and express it, we're told we're selfish. We're called worse than selfish. We're told we're too controlling. We have too many rules. And so we've learned along the way, just like not to have needs. And if we do have them, certainly don't speak up about them. So there is a huge unlearning that has to happen before we can feel comfortable advocating for ourselves in the form of boundaries. What's the cost? You know, when you work with particularly mothers, because that's who, you know, I work with and will be listening to this. What's the cost of suppressing those needs, pretending we don't have them, putting other people's needs above our own? I mean, we live in a constant state of resentment. We have anxiety. We have frustration. We feel burned out. We feel isolated. We are lighting ourselves on fire to keep other people warm. And it's not particularly effective in taking care of them. And it's certainly not effective in taking care of us. We are not even showing up on our own list. And if we do, we put ourselves dead last. And that leaves us without enough time, energy, mental health, physical capacity, physical space to nurture and care for our own needs. 
And when we do that, we are now trying to care for others as best as we can from a place of absolute depletion. That's, I think, what every mother during the pandemic and beyond has experienced, I would imagine. Absolutely. And I think for me, you know, it ebbs and flows. Like there are times I've absolutely felt like that list that you've described in my mother and Jenny. And there are times I've felt the opposite when I've been able to advocate for my needs. You talked about some of those societal pressures. What is it within us, do you think, that has us suppressing our own needs? Is it a need for validation? Is it a low worth? What is it, do you think? Speaking from experience, I was raised and socialized to be nice. And being nice means you say or do whatever other people expect you to say or do, not necessarily what is intrinsic to you, but you show up how and when and where other people expect you to. I have been conditioned to be good. So being good means staying quiet and being small and being compliant and going along and being the pleasure to have in class. So for me, that was a goal growing up. And that was something I was praised for that. I was the easy one. I was the good one. I was the one that like nobody ever had to worry about. So I think we have these internal mechanisms. And then above all, we want to be loved and we want others to show us they love us. And when we have people in our life who tell us they will love us if we show up as and when and how they want us to, we learn to be pliable. Because if we don't show up the way they expect, maybe they won't love us the same way. So we're getting our love and validation from external sources instead of internal. There are all of these pressures from the outside and then learned pressures from the inside that all add up to the fact that we are mostly boundaryless. And I'm so glad that you're unpacking this with us the way that you are, because I think particularly on Instagram today, there's so much conversation around boundaries, which is incredible, but there's definitely not enough conversation, which is why I love your work around it, about what can come up for us when we first start to set boundaries, advocate for our needs. You know, I held a boundary in my family last week, my extended family. And it's really hard because I'm facing all that conditioning. You're becoming a problem. Who do you think you are? Just go for the easy option. Just say it's okay. It wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And it took all my strength to remember like, it's okay. It's I am worth causing other people some discomfort, which often that happens with boundaries. And I think it's so important to talk what you're talking to, which is that it's really hard when you first start this practice, isn't it? Because you do hit against all that conditioning. Yes. It is the number one reason I hear from people who say, I don't want to set boundaries or I don't have boundaries in my life is that it feels deeply uncomfortable. First, it can feel uncomfortable just to check in with yourself and ask yourself, what do I need? How do I feel? Because if we have been conditioned again, if our diets and our trauma and everything else has conditioned us that our bodies can't be trusted. I mean, my addiction taught me that my body can't be trusted and I can't trust the signals that it's sending me. And to a degree, my recovery program tried to teach me that as well, that I was powerless. And so you have these forces that say that you can't be trusted. So checking in with yourself to say, what do I need? How do I feel? Can be uncomfortable. And then sharing that with someone else, not knowing how they're going to react and feeling as though their approval or their understanding of your boundary is necessary in order for you to enforce it can bring on a lot of discomfort. And the guilt, the guilt that we feel 
simply for having needs is extraordinary. But what I like to point out to people is that, yes, setting a boundary is uncomfortable, but what you are already doing is uncomfortable. Swallowing your needs, swallowing your feelings, showing up resentfully, showing up begrudgingly, the damage that that can do to your relationship when you show up cold and distant and holding them off because you didn't want to do this thing that you said yes to, all of that is already deeply uncomfortable. And that pattern just keeps you stuck in the same dysfunction. Whereas the discomfort of setting and holding a boundary can be instantaneous and can actually change the trajectory of your health and your relationship. So true. I think the real skill in this, Melissa, is when you first set it is to be able to sit with that guilt and everything in me wants to say, don't worry about it. (laughs) You know, when someone's saying, hang on a minute, everything in me wants to go, no, 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 you're right. I'm making a fuss. Don't worry. And it takes so much strength and in a way worth to be able to hold on to, no, this is what is right for me. And you talk about boundaries actually being kind and being a tool to strengthen our relationships. And I think so many people have the opposite view, don't they? They're to like punish or weaponize. Can you unpack that? That's Brené Brown, isn't it? Clear is kind. Can you unpack that for us? I love that phrase of Brené's. I'm so grateful she let me use it in the book. Let me tell a story, and this will help illustrate, I think, better than anything, how boundaries are truly a kindness, a gift in a relationship. Your mother-in-law continues to drop over without calling. You've hinted, you've eye-rolled, but she doesn't quite get the hint. And so she knocks on your door again and you open the door and you say, hey, Carol, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, come on in. And she comes in and you're cold and you're distant and you're annoyed because you weren't prepared for her visit and the house is a mess and the kids have been arguing and you haven't made dinner yet. And Carol can feel the tension and your kids can feel the tension and your spouse can feel the tension and you feel the tension, but you let Carol in because you're trying to be nice. The kind thing to do would be to say, hey, Carol, would you please call before you come over and give us an hour's notice? That's it. Because the next time Carol calls and says, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Can I come by in an hour? You say, sure, Carol. You open the door. You're ready. You're ready for her visit. The kids know that grandma's coming over. You've tidied enough to make yourself feel comfortable. You've had an hour to get your stuff done. And now you know Carol's going to visit for a little while. You show up more open more welcoming. Carol feels more welcomed. Your kids feel more at peace. Your spouse is happy. Boundaries are a gift. They say to your relationship partner, I have this limit and you may not even have known that I've had it, but it's hurting our relationship if I don't express it. So I'm going to share it with you as an invitation to meet me in this limit. And if you can meet me here, our relationship is going to feel far more open and trusting and respectful and everybody's going to be happier. Boundaries create a sense of safety in a relationship because now your relationship partner knows that you are taking responsibility for your own feelings and your own needs and you will communicate those clearly and kindly. So true. Best case scenario, Carol says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I I thought dropping in was cool. Of course I'll do that next time. Best case scenario. Other scenario, we could say (laughs) more likely with a mother-in-law who's dropping in that she says something like, oh, I thought you liked it when I dropped. It's never been a problem before. You know, she feels on the defensive. She might feel some guilt. She might feel some shame. How does someone navigate that once you've set that boundary and the other person has a big reaction to it? 
first of all, I'm not going to feel guilty because I haven't done anything wrong, but I'm also going to remember that Carol didn't know I had a boundary. I may have hinted, I may have eye-rolled, but I wasn't communicating clearly. So what I might say is, I know, Carol, you've been dropping over without calling for a while, and I'll be honest, it hasn't always been comfortable for me, but I didn't want to say anything. And then I realized that that wasn't very kind. So now I'm just letting you know it would be really helpful if you called first. That's it. You don't have to, she doesn't have to fall on her sword. You don't have to trip over yourself to make her feel better. Now you're just saying this is the limit that we are setting. And you're setting this as a family. There's a whole section in the in-laws chapter where I talk about how you and your spouse need to be same page with setting these boundaries. But you can simply respond in that manner. Like nobody did anything wrong here. You're just letting Carol know that there's this limit that you hadn't expressed. And now you're expressing it. And it you know, feels reasonable to me to say, just call before you come over. When you say it, you make it sound so easy. (laughs) I'm like, this sounds so easy. Seeing as we're on in-laws, because the in-laws section, like you, most of the questions that I get around boundaries are around in-laws. Why is it so hard with in-laws? What is it about that dynamic that you see that makes it like just the biggest challenge when we're partnered up with someone? It can be tricky. What I tend to see is that You marry into a family that has been boundaryless for a very long time, and the parents have conditioned your spouse to just go along with it. I've heard so many times, like, look, mom's not going to change. This is just how she is. So, like, take it or leave it. You know, you just have to live with it. And then your spouse comes into the situation, and your spouse is like, this is not okay, right? Either they have a different dynamic with their family, or they have a bigger need for privacy or space or what have you. And they say, it's not okay that your mom feels like she can just walk into our house anytime she pleases. That's incredibly disruptive for me, incredibly disruptive for the kids. The challenge is you and your spouse have to agree on the boundary before you try to set it with either of your parents. Because if you don't, it's just going to force you to take sides. It's going to force your spouse to take sides. And there's a very good chance that your in-law is going to make your spouse take sides. Oh, really? You want me to call before you come over? Rob, is that what you want to And now all of a sudden, your poor husband feels like they're in the middle. You feel like you could be abandoned. Mother-in-law is having her little finger on her kid. You two have to be on the same page with setting the boundary ahead of time so that the limit is, this is what we need. This is what we need as a family. Yeah, Rob and I have decided it would be much better if we did this. So that when your mother-in-law says, this is what you think, Rob says, yes, this is what we need as a family. And I'm sure you've seen this so much before, is that... Often that's where this gets really tricky because the partner will say, it's not a big deal to me. Stop being mean to my mom. Just let her come in. It's my mom. She's so helpful. What do you do when you can't get that united front? You've got practice for this, haven't you? I have a couple. So first of all, there is almost always a compromise. One of the tricks I like to use, I call it the numbers game. I've been using this trick for ages. So you and your partner would sit down and you would say, okay, husband, How important is it to you on a scale of one to 10 that your mom be able to come by whenever she wants without calling, without, she just walks right in. On a scale of one to 10, how important is it to you that your mom retains this right? I'm going to think about how important it is to me that mom calls before coming over. And then when you both have a solid number in your head, this requires self-awareness and not just trying to like win the discussion, you share your number. So if your spouse says, you know, no, like like it's nice for my mom to be able to come over and to feel that welcomed, but calling isn't a big deal. I only like three out of 10 care. And I say I eight out of 10 care because a hundred percent of the time I'm the one who's home with the kids and has to entertain her. And it's really hard on me. Now you acquiesce to the partner who cares the most. 
The other potential thing that you could do is say, okay, well, what's a compromise? Tell you what, husband, okay, your mom can continue to come by without calling. But if I'm busy, I'm tapping out. I'm not going to be around. I won't feel like I have to entertain her. I don't have to prepare her food. You can take care of entertaining her. So if she drops by without calling and I'm busy, I have zero obligation whatsoever. And like you two can visit as much as you want. And if that's okay with him, then you have a solution. Now, Carol can come by whenever she wants and you have no obligation whatsoever to be present or entertain. And if your husband says, no, 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 that doesn't work for me, then you're back to, great. So she's calling before she comes over. And I guess there could be tons of compromises in that just one example, isn't there? And I think that is what is so good about just thinking about it in this way. And you also say, present a united front, but you handle your own parents. Tell us about that. Because I think that this again is where people get tripped up because the daughter-in-law or the son-in-law tries to handle the in-laws and then you get that weird triangulation again. Yes. Typically what happens is the spouse, and I'll kind of pick on heterosexual couples, the husband says, okay, I get that you want Carol to call before you come over, you tell her and wants to stay out of it so that he can stay on his mom's good side. And then you come in and you kind of look like the bad guy. Now you're the interloper. You're the new person in the relationship, busting up this like 30 year dynamic where you're saying, Hey, Carol, we would like you to call first. And your husband gets to stay out of it and basically like look like he has no part in it. So my rule is handle your own parents for the most part. If there are exceptions to the rule, like any set of parents would acquiesce more to the pregnant partner in the relationship, then go ahead and use that dynamic. But in general, handle your own parents is a very strong rule. Get on the same page and then whoever the issue is with, that person talks to their parents as a team. I think that that you just touched on is such a common dynamic that the new is in, you know, the partner starts to be seen as the bad guy. You never used to be like this. And suddenly you're with this person or you, you've got married. And now you, how does someone get to keep that positive relationship with their in-laws? So they're boundaried, they feel clear, they feel kind, but they're not being labeled as like the difficult one because the dynamic is changing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. I think there may be some instances in which it's just not your business how your in-laws choose to think about or respond to your boundary. In that, if they acquiesce, even if they're grumbling about it and labeling you as the bad guy, as long as they're acquiescing, like so be it. I think the best and most effective way, though, is for you as a partnership, you and your spouse, to physically demonstrate how this boundary makes the relationship better, not in the form of over-explaining why you need it. So I'm not going to say, Carol, would you please call before you come over? Because sometimes the house is a mess and the kids aren't always ready to see you and it just feels like it's too chaotic. 
I don't like over explaining as a justification for the boundary because Carol might say, oh, I don't care if the house is a mess and the kids don't have to pay attention. And like, don't worry about it. I'll be invisible. You won't even know I'm here. That's not the issue. But if Carol agrees, then the next time she calls, you can say, Carol, I'm so glad you called. An hour is absolutely perfect. That gives me just enough time to finish dinner. Do you want to stay for dinner? We would love to have you. Or I'll make sure the kids are done with their homework so they can visit with you. It's great to know that you're coming by. I can't wait to see you. And you show them how this boundary improves your relationship. Or it might come to the point where the boundary is the thing that actually preserves the relationship. So I see this very often with parents who are constantly commenting on bodies or weight loss or size to the point you just don't want to engage anymore or have meals with them because it's so problematic. In that case, the boundary is literally, if we can't stop talking about this, I'm going to have to change the way I engage with you because this no longer feels good. So the boundary itself is what's going to save the relationship. They may see it that way. They may not, but how they choose to respond to your clear kind boundary is not your business. It's true. And it's hard. Both things are true. It's true. And it's hard. Tell us about the threat levels, because I think you just touched on it there. You know, if this doesn't change, this is what's going to happen. And this is a question that you must get all the time because I get it too, which is what if someone doesn't respect my boundary? So what if Carol, let's stick to poor Carol. What if Carol keeps showing up? You set the boundary and she goes, yeah, yeah, of course I'll call whatever. Next week, there's a knock at the door. It's Carol wanting to come in. What would you do then? Would you turn her away at the door? What would you do? So I do have a three-tiered approach to boundaries, green, yellow, and red. And it is kind of based upon the threat this boundary overstep presents to your relationship. The green boundary is where you usually start. It's like, okay, I'm just going to assume that this person didn't know I had a limit. And once I express it clearly and kindly, they're going to want to meet me in this limit for the good of the relationship. They care about me. They care about my needs and my feelings. So I'm going to go in assuming the best and share my green. That would be, hey, Carol, please call before coming over and give us an hour's notice. Now, you also need a way to escalate that boundary if they are unable or unwilling to respect it or if they forget. So say Carol comes by again a week later knocks on the door. You open the door. You say, Carol, you didn't call. And she said, oh yeah, I just felt like I was in the neighborhood. This is where you are absolutely free to say, Carol, it's not a good time. Would you like to come back this weekend or should I call you later on tonight? You are holding the boundary. You asked her to call. She did not call. It's not an emergency. And if you go back on it now, you might as well just say, okay, Carol, start coming over whenever you want. So you have to be willing to hold it. Oh, Carol, it's actually not a good time. Do you want to come back this weekend or do you want me to call you later? And if Carol shows up for a third time after all of this knocking on the door, you have my permission not to answer the door. Because at this point, who is being rude? You have given Carol every opportunity to visit. All she has to do is pick up the phone. It's not that hard. And at this point, if she's refusing, then you have permission to say, nobody has access to my space, time, and energy whenever they damn well please. Not even my mother-in-law. And that's how you escalate to a red level boundary. It's what you said there that's really, really interesting. And I know I would struggle with that, which is you have to hold the boundary. Otherwise, you're essentially saying, my boundaries don't mean anything. My word doesn't mean anything. And we know this with kids, right? We know this with kids so well. Like the moment you go, okay, after the seventh whinge, and then next time you get 10 whinges, and next time you get 20, like we know that we're talking about, I think it's it's much harder, isn't it? Particularly in that, for some reason, in that in-law 
dynamic, but it's so important that you pulled that out, that it's about holding it. And what about on the other side? Because something that I've struggled with with boundaries is I can have too much compassion for the person that I'm setting the boundary with. So I can think, well, even as you're describing that, I'm thinking, poor Carol, like she's trying to be a supportive mum-in-law. She has been doing this for 30 years or longer, you know, dropping in on various people and her kids. It's a really big change for her to make as well. How do you hold both of those where you can see it from their side this is one of the last chapters in the book, isn't it? You can see it from their side, but you're still able to advocate for your boundary. I mean, I think a couple of things. The first thing is that a healthy boundary is always flexible. So if Carol shows up at the door and says, it's an emergency, my car broke down the, down the street, can I use your phone? Of course, you're going to let her in. If Carol shows up at the door and you open it and Carol goes, oh my gosh, I didn't call. And you asked me to call and I was down the street kind of distracted. Oh, I might say, you know what, Carol, I really appreciate it. And yeah, it is way better if you call first, but you're here, come in and have a cup of coffee. Now, as long as Carol's not doing that 10 times in a row, if she's acknowledging that, I might say, okay, come on in. I also think that after the person has demonstrated their willingness to at least respect the boundary, then you can initiate a conversation in the spirit of compassion and transparency and vulnerability about what it means to you that they've respected it. So maybe Carol calls, she comes over, you sit down over a cup of tea that you've prepared and you say, Carol, I really appreciate how accommodating you've been with this. I'd love to talk to you about what's happening at work. Things have been so stressful lately. And I felt like, you know, I just have so little free time right now. And, and maybe you initiate a conversation about other things that are happening in your life. So Carol feels a little more let in on where this boundary might come from. But you're not doing this as a justification for the boundary. You're doing it after the fact as a means of initiating closeness in the relationship. So there are certainly a few things that you can do to show that compassion, demonstrate that compassion and flexibility without going back on the limit that you just set. Just the way you were unpacking that there, you can really see actually, can't you, how when you use boundaries effectively, they can bring you closer. Like if that person on the other side has the emotional maturity, and I think it does take emotional maturity, right? Because I've had boundaries set with me and I get that shot of trigger, like, oh, okay. And then I have to think, no, 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 this person actually values my relationship with them enough. You know, I have to get my emotional maturity head on because it can feel when someone first sets a boundary on the other side, right? You do get that defense. It's a very human reaction, I think. Yes. The way you get better at understanding and acknowledging and respecting other people's boundaries is by setting and holding them yourself. Because every time you set and hold a boundary for yourself, you remind yourself, this is not selfish. This is not mean. I have nothing to feel guilty about. This is in honor of my own feelings and needs, and this is going to make the relationship better. This is a gift in my relationship. I am creating safety in my relationship. So the more you emphasize that for yourself in your own boundary practice now, when someone says to you, oh, I would love to see you when you come visit next weekend, but you can't stay with us. You might have that moment of like, oh, like, why not? What did I do? But then you might say, oh, actually that's a kindness. Now I get to show up with my friend and she's feeling more relaxed and she's feeling more at ease and she's able to show up on her timeline and I don't have to feel like I'm intruding on her personal space. What a gift that is. And you can recognize that easier. You had this with your sister, didn't you? Where she set a boundary with you about, I'm trying to remember, you were visiting and she wanted to sleep in and you felt triggered. Tell us the story. I'll tell you, my sister just set a boundary with me last week. It took me a minute and I was like, okay, 
My mom and her husband and my family always meet in San Diego in February to do like a little visit. My sister's in San Diego. We're in Salt Lake City. This is a way for my grandparents to see the grandkid all at the beach. So I sent a note to my sister and I said, Hey, are we going to get together early, you know, late February, early March for our like annual trip? And she said, I would love it if you would come visit, but you can't stay with us. And I was like, we've stayed with her every single time we've come. I like staying with her. It's easy to stay with her. And I was like, huh. So I didn't ask any questions. I didn't say anything. I just said, okay, got it. So we would just find a nearby Airbnb and we would just meet up with you like when you were free. And she was like, yeah, that would work out great. And I'm like, perfect. I got you. So I processed it in my own time. You know, in the moment, of course, I took it personally. Like, why? We're so fun. We're so easy. Why can't we stay with you? But all I said was, okay, got it. And then the next day when I talked to her, she was like, Melissa, I got to tell you, work has been bananas and like XYZ factors are going on. And like, this is happening and that's happening. And that's why I said, you can't stay with us because I am so on edge that like one more thing that I have to accommodate is going to be really hard. And in that moment, I was so happy that I just said, okay, okay, no problem. So even I take it personally sometimes, or I have to like resist the urge to, but I remember that her speaking that clearly is a gift. And then it allows us the opportunity to visit in a way that still feels good to us. She didn't say, don't come. She didn't say, I don't want to see you. She just said, don't stay with us. And I thought, okay, we'll figure it out. And now we get to have our visit and everybody's happy. Yeah. Cause imagine if she hadn't have said that she had have been stressing out, resentful that you were there. Maybe there might've been that undercurrent of sort of tension that I think we all know so well when we're visiting family. Like it's such a good example that it's such a good example. And yet I can imagine so many people would have responded to that message saying, what have I done wrong? The defensiveness that's driven from the insecurity. It's such a beautiful example of being able to just think this isn't about me. This isn't about me. And what made her feel so comfortable saying, yes, please come visit, but you can't stay with me is because I say that stuff to her all the time. Because when she asks me for things or asks for a favor, or can I do this? Or can you do this? I let her know exactly what my capacity is. Hey, I really need to like dump a bunch of stuff from work. Can you talk tonight? I cannot talk tonight. I am so underwater with X, Y, and Z, but I'm open tomorrow night. I'm open Thursday night and I'm free all day Saturday. You tell me when you want to download because I speak so clearly with her and she recognizes that it's in our best interest. I'm not doing it because I don't want to talk to her. It's because I want to show up for her the way that I know she deserves to be shown up for. And I don't have it in me tonight. She feels just as comfortable being that direct with me too. This is why being around boundaries people, and I've had this experience a lot in recovery, is just an absolute gift. Those relationships that I have where I just know whatever request I make, they're not going to do it to please me. They're not going to abandon themselves to take a call from me or whatever it might be. I just know they're going to say, I'm not available for you right now, but just as you said, or actually Zoe, what you just said kind of feels rude to me. They're just going to be really honest. It's night and day to the, some of the other relationships and how I've been in the past where it's been full of pleasing and resentment and secret blaming and, you know, that sort of murkiness of an unbounded relationship. It's so good, that example that you just gave. Thank you for sharing it. I mean, that leads in a little bit to the concept of my relationship golden rule when we're talking about boundaries with romantic partners, but it applies just as well to every other relationship, which is say what you mean and trust your conversation partner to do the same. And I see this so often in romantic relationships where one party is like, do you want me to go get the kid from school today? And I was like, no, that's okay. I'll do it. 
And that was the end of our conversation. But how it usually goes is, do you want me to get the kid? No, that's okay. I'll do it. Are you sure? I don't mind going to get him. Well, like, no, you've got this and that going on. And like, it's fine. I'll go get him. Okay. You sound like you want me to go get him. Do you want me to go get him? I mean, if you want to go get him, I guess you could. Okay. But do you want me to? I mean, it's just, and if every conversation and every decision is like that, no wonder it's like exhausting. So say what you mean and trust your partner to do the same. Do you want me to go get the kid? Nope. I'll do it. End of conversation. Done. And I wouldn't have said I'll do it if I couldn't do it. The energy that us mothers expend. And I see this a lot with sort of playground dynamics and mum group dynamics. The energy of that sort of double guessing, trying to figure out what someone really means, pleasing. Is it really okay that they're going to pick up my kid on Wednesday? Or are they just saying, you know, bloody hell, we've already got enough on. And it's that extra layer of overthinking, mental load, emotional load that we could just do without, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And I sometimes maybe surprise people. So thinking about a friend of mine who was asking about taking a, I had a charity thing. I was bringing some donations to her charity event. And she said to me, do you want me to come pick them up from you? And I said, yeah, that would be great. And she goes, oh, I I didn't think you would actually say yes. I thought you would say like, no, it's okay. I can drive them over. And I was like, well, then you shouldn't have asked. Yes. I'd like you to come get them. (laughs) So it was a funny example, but my point is you do eliminate a lot of that back and forth. And then there's no more of like, what did they really mean? Or I said to my wife, can I go out for drinks with the guys after work? And she said, sure. Am I going to walk into an ambush? How could you have gone out? You know, we have so much stuff to do. You eliminate all of that when you just say what yeah, so right. And you say there are some things in particularly our romantic partnerships that boundaries can't always solve. What are those things and what is it that we need to do before we get to boundaries? I think most of the questions I get around romantic relationships and boundaries involve unequal distribution of household management, child care and household management. My partner is not doing his share of household management. And again, it's mostly heterosexual couples that I'm talking to about this. And unfortunately, that scenario can't be solved with a simple boundary. You can't say, I'm not doing the dishes anymore. The action that I'm willing to take in this relationship is that I will not do the dishes because if the dishes don't get done, that hurts the entire household and it hurts you. And that is not a functional household anymore. So In some cases, you can't solve a relationship issue with a boundary. Or you might say to your partner, if you're talking about wanting more physical connection than the other person, you might say, my boundary is like, I'm not going to have physical contact with you for another couple of days because I'm just feeling like you're not listening to my communication. And then the other partner is saying, well, now you're withholding affection from me and that doesn't feel good. So You can't always solve these relationship issues with boundaries. And sometimes you need to have deeper conversations or more specific conversations around things like the distribution of household management, around communication patterns. Maybe it's setting rules of engagement around conversations or learning a nonviolent communication structure. Maybe it's going to couples therapy or at least one of you going to therapy to get some support and guidance specific to the issues that you're having. But unfortunately, some of these deeper situations can't be just a simple boundary conversation. And what if someone's done some of that heavy lifting, right? And it is heavy lifting of the communication, the expectation setting. And I know you're a massive fan of Eve Rodsky and me too, right? So they might have got fair play. They might have listened to my podcast with her and or read your book and you've got her in your chapter as well on this. And they've said, right, this is what you're doing. This is what I'm doing. 
And you find that your partner is consistently not doing what they said was in the agreement or is sort of underdoing it, right? So yeah, sure, I'll pick the kids up from school, but then they're sat there watching iPads for three hours while they're working. And whereas if you were doing that, you would be doing homework with them. Could that be solved with a boundary or is that back to expectation setting? It's back to expectation setting because again, a boundary can't tell someone else what to do. It can't say, my boundary is that you play with the kids after school. It doesn't work like that. So this is where Eve's fair play system is so handy because in her system, you are establishing a reasonable kind of minimum care. You are saying when you pick the kids up from school, what is the expectation around this? And that we both share that expectation. So maybe it's not that after school, every kid does their own handmade craft for two hours with the parent, but it's also not that every kid just stares at their iPad for two hours. What is a reasonable standard of care for this particular task that we can both agree to? Maybe it's an hour of iPad time and an hour of no screen time with that parent. Can we both agree to that? And that's how you set, again, this is like, Eve wants you to get crystal clear on what it means to accomplish a task and to do that task well, according to what your reasonable standard is. So that's where that conversation comes into play. The challenge with boundaries in romantic relationships, friendships, in jobs, in your workplace, is that much like we discussed earlier, you can't set a boundary that you aren't willing to hold because then that boundary is meaningless. And in the case of a romantic relationship, the hard red boundary might be the way we continue to engage in this partnership is not working for me. And I'm going to go see a therapist to help me think about what next steps are. So not everyone is willing or even able to leave their job, to leave their relationship. And at that point, you have to decide whether or not the boundary is worth enforcing or how to live with perhaps a scaled back version of your boundary. There aren't always easy answers, unfortunately. No, it's so true. And you hear this a lot, don't you? Like threatening to leave, threatening to leave you know, if this doesn't change, if this doesn't change, if this doesn't change, that's quite a common thing that I hear as well. And of course, maybe, you know, it's a massive deal to leave a relationship, isn't it? It's huge. And that's the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was co-parenting. So I know you've got personal experience of this. And I think, gosh, it must be one of the hardest terrains around boundaries because it taps into so much emotional quagmire, right? That maybe the guilt of of having a blended family now or a different family set up now, maybe the absolute desire to want to control how your partner is with your child, which boundaries can't do. The crushing if your partner doesn't show up on a Sunday when they're meant to come and the kid's excited. I just cannot imagine. I have so much respect and admiration for anyone that navigates it. How's that been for you? And what have you learned about boundaries and co-parenting? So I am very lucky in that I have an engaged and active and good co-parent. He's a good dad. He shows up when he says he's going to. We have good communication for the sake of the kid. So I am very lucky in that I don't have to deal with, you know, a lot of the terrible horror stories that I hear from other parents. But I did realize early on in our divorce, we split when my son was just one, that I had to set boundaries both with him and the way that we communicated and the things that we communicated about. And then most importantly, I had to set some boundaries with myself around the way that I chose to engage with him so that our co-parenting relationship could be 
the least contentious possible. So I had to set boundaries around he and I only communicate in writing or via text message, not in person. Because once or twice we showed up to a discussion in person and he kind of ambushed me with something that we weren't supposed to be there talking about. And it was like not okay situation. So I set a boundary there. I set a lot of boundaries with myself around if you feel triggered by a text message he sends, don't reply right away. Give yourself an hour, give yourself two hours. Maybe you don't respond at all because not everything deserves a response. So it's so hard to set boundaries with this person that you were married to and shared everything with. And now you don't share anything except your kid. It's a really hard and clunky transition, but I found boundaries really did help us ease that groove, focus on the kid, which was the only thing that mattered, making sure that he was happy and healthy and well-adjusted. And then now that we're eight years into it, a lot of those boundaries have relaxed. It's been easy to relax them because as our relationship has progressed and he's grown older and we've both been in new relationships, the need for all of those, you know, hasn't been to the same degree. So again, you know, healthy boundaries should be flexible. But there is a whole chapter on co-parenting because it is so tricky. It's a fantastic chapter. My gosh, if I could gift every co-parent that chapter, I would. And there's something that you said earlier on, which is just so fundamental. And I want to bring it back here, which is that you don't set boundaries to control someone else's behavior. And I can imagine in co-parenting, that would be really tricky because I would want to be saying things like, you know, when they're with you, please don't give them this food. Please don't do this. Please. And that's completely out of your control, isn't it? How they are choosing to parent. How on earth, particularly as the mother, where it's just, it, I think it is different. How did you navigate some of that? Or how have you helped clients or people in your community navigate that? And the first thing is that if you are able to approach these discussions from the more kind of stability our households have and the more consistent our routines, the easier it will be for the child to go back and forth. And if you're willing to have some vulnerability in that discussion. So, you know, we had one conversation recently where my co-parent said, hey, our son's been mentioning that you've been giving him this sleep supplement. What's in this sleep supplement? I've actually done some research and it's not super healthy for his hormones developing. It's like, the melatonin amount in it isn't good for him to take on a regular basis. Is that something you would consider not doing? This is in his best interest. He's not micromanaging what TV show I watch or whether he's getting like, you know, Doritos on a Saturday afternoon. This was a conversation about health. So I thanked him for letting me know. I took some time to do some research and I said, yes, I'll happily agree to this with you. We've had other conversations where, you know, he said, I wonder if my son is getting like too much screen time at your house. And I said, respectfully, we're not micromanaging what we're doing at each other's houses. We have rules around screen time. The limits are absolutely reasonable according to what we believe. They're always monitored and I feel comfortable with it. So that's not a discussion that like you and I are going to have. He was like, okay. So you have to kind of think about, can we have some big picture conversations? Like what time does he go to bed at your house? We've talked about this a number of times. Hey, what time does he go to bed at your house? Oh, about eight o'clock. Cool. That's about what time he goes to bed here. Because that's something that we can do that works with our households, that works for the sake of the kid. And then other conversations, it just feels a little too micromanagey and one or the other person will speak up and say, I don't think this is something that like we need to get all the way down into. So that's what's worked for us. But it can definitely be a challenge. Oh gosh. Yeah. I can't actually imagine <laughs> the challenge of it. When you think about mothers and boundaries, as a whole. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you commonly see as challenges with this? 
I want mothers to also feel confident setting boundaries with their children. And I will tell you that this is a good, healthy practice to instill and model for your kids so that they grow up knowing that it is not selfish or mean to have needs. It's not selfish to express your feelings, but also that mom is her own person outside of just being my mom. So from the earliest age, I've set boundaries with my son. When he was very little, he would want to be picked up. And I would say, oh, I can't pick you up until I put these groceries down. Walk with me into the house. I'll put the groceries down. Then I can pick you up. Or when he would want to you know, interrupt a phone call, I would say, oh, I'm talking to Manatee. You're going to have to wait a few minutes. And then at a pause, I would say, thank you. Thank you for waiting. I would also set boundaries on his behalf. So when he would visit with his grandparents, I would say, oh, Nana, he doesn't want to hug right now. Would you want a fist bump? Do you want a high five? Do you want an elbow bump? But he doesn't want to hug or kiss and we don't make him if he doesn't want to. So I was teaching him that he had agency and that it was okay to advocate for himself. Now, it's very easy for me to say, buddy, I need 20 minutes of alone time. I'm going to go in my room. Please don't bother me for 20 minutes. I don't care what you do. You can play Lego. You can watch TV. You can do your craft box. But like, I need 20 minutes and I'll set an alarm. And in 20 minutes, I'm going to come out and I'm going to be so much happier. And he'll go, okay, mom. And he also feels comfortable setting boundaries with us. So I'll sit down on the couch and he'll say, oh, I would love for you to sit with me, but I don't want to snuggle right now. And I'm like, cool, no problem. So setting boundaries with and for and around your kids, I think can be a very healthy practice for modeling them in a way that I never had when I was a kid. Absolutely. Is it ever backfired how boundaried you've helped him be? I don't think so. I mean, sometimes he surprises me a little bit. The day that he told me he didn't want me to pick out his clothes anymore. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And he came out in head to toe, like, but cherry red, just head to toe. Every single thing on his body was a different shade of red. And I was like, well, okay, you know, pick your battles, no big deal. But so far it hasn't. He's got a private journal that he doesn't want me to read. And I'm dying to read it because what is this like nine-year-old saying in his private journal? But I will not. I respect his privacy. You can't, can you? I know, but I mean, of course the curiosity is killing me, but. Everything in me would want to read that. I know. But I don't. So no, so far it hasn't, it hasn't backfired. And I'm really happy that he feels comfortable enough to say, like, yeah, I want you to tuck me in, but I don't want to kiss tonight. And I'm like, okay, cool. Does it hurt my little mama heart a little bit to not be able to snuggle him anytime I want? Yeah. But am I glad that he feels comfortable enough to like express his agency with me and with other people? Absolutely. That's more important. Yeah. He's going to be an amazing father-in-law <laughs> one day when, so, yeah, when someone sets boundaries with him or, and father, he'll be like, I get this. I know what to do. And I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I would like to give every mom a moment of pause, a moment of pause before you automatically say yes to anything, anything. And maybe that pause is just two or three seconds for you to check in and go, do I want to watch a movie tonight? Or maybe that pause is a day when you say, do I want to commit to having the in-laws over for dinner on Friday? Or maybe the pause is a week where it's okay. They want to come visit. Do they stay with us or do they not want to stay with us? But I want to gift you the moment of knowing that you can take a moment to check in with yourself and ask yourself, what do I need? And how do I feel? Just a brief pause. If we build in that check-in practice on a regular basis, it will become so much easier to tap into those feelings and those needs and then makes it that much easier to advocate for ourselves. Oh my gosh, that would just save hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and and so much energy. Oh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Where can someone find you, find the book, learn more about what you do? 
My Instagram is at Melissa U and that's my website too, melissau.com. And I would really encourage everyone to check out the book of boundaries as we've mentioned, and hopefully you've got a sense of Melissa, but there is literally scripts in there for what to say with all these scenarios. And I know it's already thumbnailed, but it's going to be on my desk, highlighted, underlined. So thank you again. Thanks so much, Zoe. Thanks for having me. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on.